Two and 19. Two and 19. All you need to know to appreciate Ian McCall, athletic director at Liberty University, and his infamous, in a good way if you're a Liberty Flames fan, his infamous list of criteria, priorities for a head football coach. So you remember what Ian McCaw said? Right around the transition from Hugh Freeze as the head coach at Liberty to Jamie Chabwell. Most notably, the introductory press conference for the now 3-0 head man of the Liberty Flames. Yeah, we needed uh, you know we need someone who's a great uh, fit with the university, great mission fit. Uh, we need somebody who um, is a strong leader, culture builder, CEO of a football program. We were looking for someone with expertise on one side of the ball and preferably offense. And we want someone with recruiting expertise that could recruit the kind of students we needed at Liberty. Ian McCall, athletic director, Liberty University, referencing things they value. Preferably offensive side of the ball. The reason for that being why that's a priority is the ability to control a football game and mask issues in other areas. You have an expertise in that spot. And it's not a shock either that the other finalist reportedly for that job, this according to Damian Sortelet, who was on the search for newsadvance.com when that happened. But Kane Womack, South Alabama head coach, they destroyed Oklahoma State in Stillwater this past weekend. Yeah, I was thinking Troy for a second, but that we'll get to that later. Yeah, uh, you know, that's a topic for a different Someone time. got that right, someone didn't. But what, what? I I picked JMU, you picked Troy. So I just want to Yeah, you know, um it uh it was not a banner pick for me on that one. We'll we'll get to our receipts. You did a lot better than me though, so it's okay. Well, we'll get to receipts a little bit later in the fast lane, but the point of the matter is it's something that Ian McCall mentioned regarding the value of head coaches. And the other parts he referenced when introducing Jamie Chabal and why this is relevant nine or so months after the initial hire is that that gets you to a point where if you can recruit, identify, develop, yes, you bring in talent, but you also know how talent can fit a scheme. And going back to the offensive idea, you get an understanding of how to control the game when things may not be going your way. Look no further than Liberty this past weekend. They destroyed Buffalo 55-28, and yet there are things they could still do better, including these lulls they seem to find themselves facing in the latter part of the first half, an issue that's now popped up in two of the three victories the Flames have this year where they'll race out to a big lead, first world problems in the world of sports, but you race out to a big lead and you can't hold yourself to the same level of intensity, and it allows another team back in the game. We got to just continue to execute though, and, and when uh, when it gets tight, you know, when executing high level, we just if you look at our penalties today, ten penalties, that's uh, that's unacceptable, you know, and we're that allows people to stay in games or games closer to a uh, closer than what you think. It's going to bite us if we don't fix it, and so. Um, we need to learn how to play four quarters. If we're gonna, if we're gonna be our best every week and try to make a run in this conference, that's what it's gonna take. And so we're not there yet. Jamie Chabell, spoken like somebody who's been there before, understands it. He's got an idea of how to get yourself in a position to win, but 
knowing that you can improve as a football team. And granted, Liberty's only played three games. Uh, you know, I, more, again, we'll keep our seats after covering the Commonwealth, so around 5.55 today. But why, why I, I was confused about the line movement going from three and a half ultimately down to three, which was Liberty favored over Buffalo. It was never a contested game. But there's also a bigger picture takeaway from Liberty and their 3-0 start and how Ian McCall looks for head coaching options and what he's seeking with where things are with Virginia and Virginia Tech. Starting with the most recent one. You heard it Saturday afternoon on the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app. Early turnover for Virginia Tech. Opening drive of the game, deep in their own territory, and within a minute of action, game time that is, Rutgers takes this 7-0 lead. Driving left to right, first play from Rutgers. Malungai takes the handoff, spreading to the left side, cuts back to the 15, the 10, the 5, and into the end zone for the touchdown. Started left, cut back right, and Rutgers scores on its very first play from scrimmage, taking advantage of the Virginia Tech turnover. And, you know, it just felt like Virginia Tech was fighting an uphill battle the entire game. And where this becomes a bigger issue for Virginia Tech and the teams that have less experienced head coaches, notably in Charlottesville and Blacksburg, where both of them are entering their second year, is does it not feel like we're hearing the same song and dance? It doesn't mean there isn't a sign of progress in Blacksburg because we've touched on Virginia Tech overall improving the roster talent from its barren level at the end of the Justin Fuente era. But there are things that you believe should be corrected in year two that are not, including mistakes galore, as Brent Pry noted when speaking on the postgame show that you painfully listened to on the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app. You know, we got to play closer to our capability more often than we need. You know, to dig ourselves in a hole again for the second week in a row and then figure out, you know, that we can go win this game. I mean, it goes 21-16. We're trying a two-point play to get it within three, and you know, we just get—it's too many self-inflicted wounds. And, uh, you know, we got to be a smarter team. So, Brent Pry's not wrong in saying that they've got to be a smarter team, as he mentioned in the post-game show on your home for the Hokies, the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app, and VTR in Southside 106.3 FM. But the problem is, it's the same thing you've heard again and again. Granted new players that this is the era where you're constantly reteaching a roster things that you would think should be part of the culture and base of a program because it's harder to establish that traditional culture in an era where there is so much roster turnover and granted year one to year two does not generally experience the same volume of roster attrition that you find when a new head coach takes over a program but you're going to start to see that and for Virginia Tech it feels like this is the same spot where you fall down early 7 nothing. you make mistakes along the way, and then all of a sudden, just when you come back to cut it to 21-16, after missing the two-point conversion, try to make it a three-point game, you have Rutgers in a third down, and then this happens. Third down and one for Rutgers after the timeout. Big play call here for Shiano and the Knights. They lead 21-16. Quarterback Wimsett is in the gun. Snap comes back to him, hands it off. Malungay, a huge hole left side, busted coverage. 40-30, sprinting all the way, inside the 10, and he scores. Wow. How about that, and wow. Those were the comments you got from Mike Burnup, the color analyst and friend of ours here in the fast lane, on that call you heard on the Virginia Tech Sports Network right here on the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app and VTR in Southside. 
Because you fall down early and you have to claw your way back. And then every little mistake gets magnified because you're behind the eight ball, proverbially speaking. And then you make one mistake on third down and you give up a touchdown and all of a sudden it goes to what felt like at that point was an insurmountable deficit for Virginia Tech. And the problem is you've got a head coach that's still learning these type of things on the fly. Took him the majority of last year to realize it might be better to step back and let defensive coordinator Chris Marv call the plays. They still haven't figured out anything in terms of how to put the right pieces in place offensively. Although I will say it does seem like Kyron Jones fits more of what Tyler Bowen wants and maybe just more because he can at least make plays with his feet and compensate for a not-so-good offensive line at Virginia Tech. And yes, some of this is there's been such roster attrition that Virginia Tech has upgraded talent in a number of areas, but they still have struggled in the most key areas, which are offensive line, defensive line, and quarterback play, and getting those areas solidified that all the other areas of upgraded talent, there's only so much of a ceiling you're going to find to reach that. And then look back Friday night. We're up in the broadcast booth for Jefferson Forest Cavalier Football presented by Trostlaw.com. Whoa! 14 to nothing. Virginia takes the lead in Maryland. And what do you know? Right when they have momentum, once again, they give it back to the Terrapins with that punt return, kick return for a touchdown on the ensuing kickoff after the 14 to nothing lead to make it 14 to 7. And then at the end of the first half, you can't get off the field as a Virginia defense, allowing a big third down conversion and a 97-yard scoring drive, which felt like it really flipped the momentum that Virginia had worked so hard much of that first half to establish and put them in this spot. And once again, much like Virginia Tech losing at not-so-Big Ten power records on Saturday, Virginia losing at not-so-Big Ten power Maryland on Friday night comes down to a recurring theme, which, again, it's a bigger picture for Tony Elliott in Virginia And it goes back to Liberty having a coach who understands how to push the right buttons in the right situations early to establish the culture and the buy-in that comes from when you have victories to show for it. But what do we hear so often from Tony Elliott? Somebody's got to step up and make a play. Man, we got to go make the plays. Right? We can't. We can't wait for somebody else to make the play. We can't hope that the team uh, across the field doesn't make the play. We have to go make the play. And, uh, and so I got to do a better job of, of, of reaching them and teaching them uh, to, to you know, help them understand the, the importance of every single play, uh, especially in the fourth quarter. You know, it's a mindset. You know, it's, the mindset is that I got to get uh, – the, the longer I play, the stronger I get, the better I get, right? And then also understanding that uh, at that point in the game, effort's not enough. enough. There's got to be precision, right? There's precision and execution. It's a little different for Tony Elliott at Virginia. And not that I have this amazing amount of confidence that they know what they're doing up there because uh, we've outlined before plenty of reasons to be suspicious that that's the case. But last year you heard these comments from Tony Elliott and it was clear the roster just didn't fit what they wanted. They turned it over. But now it's your roster and there needs to be a level of buy-in and some of it you could easily argue is similar to Virginia Tech, the lack of players. Some of it is finding the right, right way to get through to the players and the right schemes to mask What are clear concerns? And when you don't have a running game, I know it sounds the same for Virginia and Virginia Tech fans because it kind of is, but when you don't have the schemes to mask those issues, namely ball control offense, understanding how to seize the flow of the game and seize control and therefore cover up areas that are weaknesses, it becomes an issue. And it goes back to Jamie Chadwell 
and what he's brought to Liberty. And granted, they're in a much better spot because Hugh Freeze, for all the ways that that thing ended last year, he put a good roster of talent in place. And while 50% of it turned over, there was enough there that Jamie Chabwell and his staff could re-recruit while bringing in new players. But here's the other part. You have to know who to keep around, and you have to know who to bring in that can fit. And this is still a cobbled-together roster for Liberty. It's far from a finished product, as Jamie Chabwell would mention, when they have lulls in the game, they have missed opportunities, they got away with a fumble that I thought should have been called a fumble in that game that might have given Buffalo a little bit of momentum. Buffalo found some things offensively, particularly when they sped up the pace of the game, and Liberty struggled in the late first half. But they executed again coming out of the locker room, 28 straight points, scoring on four straight drives for Liberty. And much like the New Mexico State game where Liberty came out a little bit differently, they had that nine-minute drive to start that game, you saw adjustments being made at halftime for a team like Liberty. It goes back to the team and knowing what to do in these type of situations. And it's where the biggest gap is right now for Virginia Tech and for Virginia and what is costing them victories right now and missing opportunities to put together the wins they need to build some kind of momentum. And it all goes back to what Ian McCall mentioned, Trey, which is as a head football coach of his programs that he's running, he wants guys with head coaching experience that understand how to identify and recruit players that fit with what you're looking and then bring them in and coach them up the right way. And it's not like this is the most complete Jamie Chabwell team. I will stand by, and and yes, they're looking like they're probably going to go over the eight-win total, which we advised. Heck, the nine-win total, which we thought they could push. I still think that's a very good possibility that Liberty goes over that. But this is not the most complete roster you're going to have with Jamie Chadwell. But he has experience. He's shown what he can do. You know what you're getting. Whereas at Virginia Tech and Virginia, it's year two of the coaching staff. It feels like year one for both of those coaches because of the roster change. And it feels like there are a lot of these, how do I push the right buttons, learn on the fly, whereas... Jamie Chabell and his staff, they've done it before at least, and they have that on which to fall back. Yeah, I mean, you can definitely tell Jamie Chadwell is an experienced head coach um, and is is someone who, you know, can schematically make plays offensively, and Tyler Bowen has improved it, and, you know, unless Trevor Lawrence is at quarterback, Tony Elliott might, maybe hasn't really proved it. So, um, if you want to compare the offenses, um, for Tech, like, I could sum up tech, Tech's games pretty easier because did you know Tech had a better success rate than Rutgers? Because Rutgers just hit, like, three big plays, and that's the difference in the game. Oh, no, I 100% do because when watching that game and, and listening to it, of course, the broadcast on the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app, they continue to point out, whether it's graphics or telling you, that Rutgers had more, or Virginia Tech had teams. more yards. It was both bad teams. They're both bad. Who? Rutgers and Virginia Tech are both bad. Yeah, but the difference is, is Rutgers, again, experienced head coach with Greg Schiano. They knew how to just not beat themselves yeah. and take advantage of the limited windows. Oh. And when you have untalented teams or teams that are in transition, Virginia Tech and Virginia are untalented in a lot of key areas. Liberty is in a transition period. If you can cobble and find a way to get through the let's not make mistakes, let's not beat ourselves part, you can just win a lot of games by default of not screwing up. Yeah, uh, I agree with that. I think um, I think one thing that hurt Tech was this was a a team that you know people talked about the upgraded roster, and we've talked about the upgraded roster. But the one place where it wasn't upgraded, and and 
is the hardest place to look at, i.e. look at, you know, if you want to look at quote-unquote transportal success stories, well, uh, Colorado does not have a good offensive line. Um, and that's, you know, they're the most sacked team in the country. Um, Tech does not have a good offensive line because it's the hardest to instantly replace. They have improved skill positions. Drones looks looks really good considering all the circumstances. And this was a team that was missing, what, four captains, if you want to include Grant Wells. You were missing probably your two leaders on defense and your best two wide receivers. Like, in a game where it was like Rutgers could hit big shots in their running game, Tech didn't have the dudes to hit big shots. So you, you go into that limited, and then your margin of error is slim because of that, and then you, you commit the turnovers, and it just increases your chance to to commit, you know, to to lose the game. And I, I think, you know, if you're Tech, there, there were flashes of improvement, but there was also kind of the same things we've seen, is this team just seems to keep making mistakes and keep keep shooting itself in the foot a little bit did it it's done it over the last two weeks and i think if they you know i i I think they can play if they played a clean game let's say this saturday against marshall i think they have a real shot to win no i i agree because marshall i think the biggest difference is marshall may have a slightly higher amount of talent than Rutgers, but greg shiano for all his flaws they don't make a lot of mistakes and beat themselves historically that's not been the issue it's just been they've been out talented by superior talented teams and Virginia Tech does not fit that bill and it is a glaring weakness for them if you're experiencing glaring weaknesses in different parts of your body there are ways to shore that up whether it's fleet feet or Roanoke gift cards to make sure you have the right shoes and the right apparel so that you perform at your best whatever your activity or you realize you need even more than that you need somebody to guide you along the way to a better fitness state Crosswide Athletic Club individual couple and family memberships They're all waiting for you at special deals at InsaneRadioDeals.com. The Who's the Hokies and some sad news in NASCAR to start things off in the Fast Five at Five-ish. It's time for the Fast Five at Five-ish. Five fast-paced, quick-witted things you need to know right now. Number five. Sherry Pollitz, who is the longtime companion of Martin Truex Jr. in a fixture in the NASCAR garage, had up to 40 different kinds of cancer tumors in her body. And yet, she battled and battled and battled. Nine years battling cancer. Sadly, it finally got her yesterday at the age of 44. Uh, it's just a testament to what the attitude of a person can be it doesn't mean it's not going to get you in the end we're all going to go somehow in some way shape or form uh i am as most of you know i'm a christian guy and that's you know to each his or her own their religious preferences but i I bring that up flawed as i obviously am in my life and faith uh i I bring that up just to say i'm of the theory you know what's the movie and maybe the one i think jim carrey was in it where it's you keep trying to cheat death and then something's going to get you at some point it's going to happen but in your life you can be an inspiration to others and sherry pollock's is when you have that much cancer in your body and yet you continue to fight and try to take on a great attitude and you put that out into the universe for others to hear and consume in their fights against cancer or whatever challenges and predicaments they face and god knows we've all got all of ours that is something that can be an enduring legacy 
for so many going forward. And while it's sad that she lost her battle, there's a lot of inspiration that can come from the Sherry Pollock's legacy for the Martin Truex Jr. and the entire NASCAR community. Number four. On a different note in NASCAR, it also came out yesterday that the Clash will return to the L.A. Memorial Coliseum for a third consecutive year. I I thought the event has been very well done. It's been a fun kickoff to NASCAR. I, I agree with the fact that it taps into the Hollywood market because the L.A. Coliseum is in downtown LA in essence not exactly the best neighborhood I've done some morning runs around there helps with tempo of course when you know you're not running in the best area but you happen to still be at a fixture venue and event Um, I'd love to see them move these races around more if you're NASCAR Uh, they've done a better than average job I'd say it's still a B plus to an A minus of being creative and moving races around to prevent the same old stale schedule where like for 10 years in the mid late 2000s and early 20 teens and even late 20 teens it was just let's do the same schedule and maybe we'll move a date here or there but nothing's changing but I do wonder about this I I get the other saving grace to this though and that is NASCAR Mexico that series will also race at the LA Memorial Coliseum on Sunday February 4th and when you're talking about trying to tap into the Latino fan base and whether you laugh at it or not it is a good thing for NASCAR to be doing that as we mentioned before whether it's Daniel Suarez or what Bubba Wallace obviously does for the African-American community that is a thing that NASCAR should be mindful of if you want to do that for one more year I understand and get it but at some point I'd love to see NASCAR maybe move this all-star race to kick the season off the preseason race the clash to another venue number three is it just me or was I the only one who in watching the West Virginia the pit at West Virginia game this coming, this past Saturday night. First of all, for as ugly as that game was, where both teams had under 250 yards of total offense, combined offensive and D, or rushing and passing yards, 250 yards or fewer of total offense for both Pitt and West Virginia. But just the buzz in that game, the excitement in that game, similar to what we've seen when West Virginia and Virginia Tech have played, and what we get with other rivalries that are still taking place is part of what I enjoy and appreciate about college football. And it doesn't generate the same ratings and panache that having the big brands does. But if not, and you're clearly not going to be part of that and it's hard to win on that level, that's great. But I'm the only one who was amused, Trey. I don't know if you saw this and watched any of that game. How often they would do crowd shots. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, the, you know. Eat poop pit t-shirts that they kept showing and never blurring out. Oh, yeah. I mean, eat. Yeah, we can't say that part. I mean, we got as close as we could to the line with hopefully not crossing it. Uh, But there were so many of those shirts in different forms. I remember looking at it in the middle of the second quarter and going to my wife, oh, wow, they've got the all blue with a little bit of yellow trim as opposed to just yellow and blue. And I forgot they're in different sections. Never ceases to amaze me. The creativity, as crass as it may be, from West Virginia fans. But on the one hand, it's not something I would necessarily want to be wearing. May have worn stuff similar to that back in the day when I was in college. But the other part to this is, isn't that part of what you also love about college sports? That there is still that level of passion. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it was cool to see that kind of that kind of game. Uh, it, it's it's something that you know you you wish you could see every year. Uh, shout out for West Virginia. Someone may may have uh, you know bet them to cover, and they did. And 
Uh, I don't know about you, but after watching that Pitt game, I feel a lot better about the Pitt game for Virginia Tech or Virginia. Does Virginia play Pitt? I, these ACC schedules are confusing. I this mean, year. it's it's no longer coastal chaos with Pitt, Virginia, and Virginia Tech all in the same. But we know that Pitt will be playing Virginia Tech next Saturday at six o'clock airtime on the CBS good. Sports Radio. Yeah, they don't play. Lynchburg. They don't play UVA. Number two. Speaking of Virginia Tech, by the way, former Virginia Tech tight end Logan Thomas was crushed by another dirty hit from Denver Broncos safety Kareem Jackson, who will not be suspended for that particular hit. Trey, what's the NFL doing here? When we're talking about, and the NFL is not like college where it's just kind of gone into, no pun intended here, but overkill on the targeting calls. In the NFL, I mean, you don't get nearly as many of those, but if you're not going to suspend a player for it, they're going to keep doing it. It blows my mind. And this isn't just defending Logan Thomas because he went to Brookville and Virginia Tech and is from our backyard and by all accounts is a pretty good guy from most everybody who knows him, including our interactions with him. But it's more the fact that Kareem Jackson has a reputation for this. and He got fined last week for, this, for a very similar hit. Exactly. So if you're going to do that, you need to have some teeth behind the next thing so that you can tell a player that he will not be deterred. In the immortal words of our girl, Melissa McCarthy from that Saturday Night Live skit. Because if you don't punish a player from their first offense to their second, then don't expect it to stop because that behavior, they will not be deterred. Will not be deterred. And number one on the Fast Five at Five-ish. An appropriate segue into covering the Commonwealth, which will come your way momentarily. According to CavsCorner.com, really found this fascinating. In the Tony Elliott era, UVA, they have now had nine games where it is scored just one touchdown or less after halftime. And in six of those contests, the Virginia Cavaliers have not crossed the goal line after the break with a total of 21 points in the second half of those games. That's stark. Not to mention the fact that Friday's second half is also the fifth half in which Virginia Tech, Virginia, excuse me, they've been shut out in the second half of the Tony Elliott era. Does that not raise a red flag about what you've got in the coaching staff? The lack of making adjustments in Charlottesville, the difficulty they've had in second half of games. It seems a logical question to us, at least. And there is your Fast Five at Five-ish. And it seems a logical enough question that that's one of the ones we'll discuss with JerryRatcliffe.com founder Jerry Hood Ratcliffe next here in the Fast Lane to kick off covering the Commonwealth. 